All right. So, um, welcome yeah, again <laughs> to our podcast. <laughs> they don't need to know about what just happened. It's not again. It's the first time. Fresh, fresh welcome to you. I'm going to cut out all of the stuff in the middle so that all they get is the first intro and then the second intro. Be and like, the panic. They don't need to know. I tried to do it. I tried to do a proper intro and then I broke my bed. We were all three sitting. You know, three sittings. as the kids do. There's a hyphen. Three ladies on the bed sitting. <laughs> anyway, five hundred words every two weeks. This is this is chapter seven, and it's short fiction. So you should write along, or make paintings about it, or do photography that inspired you based on our work. Literally, just create art while we're creating art. That's all yeah. we want. We are really excited. But Honestly, also, if you just don't want to create art and you just want to support us, that's also fine. All things fine. And I've talked to a lot of people. You know who you are. You know me. I know you. I see you all the time, face to face. You tell me you're writing stories or thinking about them. Guess what? Send them to me. I'm not, I don't have to read them on the air. I can just be like, hey, you heard me talk a lot about my stories and I'm embarrassed by it. Cool. Now share me with your stories. And share we, your stories with me. We, <laughs> share me with your share stories. Me with your stories. <laughs> Introduce me to your stories. <laughs> and you know what? We get it. Okay. It's been the flu season, you know? We know that you got deathly ill. We know that you've been, like, shitting your guts out over the toilet. Don't give them excuses. Also, crass. I'll do what I want. And yes, grass. <laughs> it's been a time. We barely made it through. Congratulations. You've made it through the winter. It's no longer flu season because I said so. Oh, thank um, God for that. Just, you know, at this point, if you're listening still, write in. Cricket. Cricket. Send an email and say, hey, Brenna, you should drink less. You've got a problem. Or like, hey, Amy, why are you always so nefarious? Nefarious Amy. That, that's her name. Nefarious yeah. Amy. Well, I mean, it's actually I'm my middle that. name. Yeah. Like, Amy, Amy Nefarious. Amy Nefarious. Amy nefarious. Like, let's it does have, honestly, yeah. a better role It's like that, that looming chill that when you walk into a room, we're like, oh, shit. Looming Amy chill is actually my dog. <laughs> looming chill. We were actually just talking about this. Naming when I finally loom. get a dog, I'm going to name it Loom because I'm, all dogs loom. Ooh. They loom over you. I feel like they And they want your food. They hover. They don't loom. I feel like, and this is definitely a Jeff Vandermeer thing. Your dog thing. has loomed. <laughs> I feel like this is a Jeff Vandermeer thing, but like, if I had a dog, I would name it Caesar. Like the band? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, then their cover art came to mind like immediately. Third band. I like their cover art. Like, like bad nineties rock band. No, like the all third band. Like it's I'm just okay ugh, and seeming and like. <laughs> Because that's what all dogs do. Is they so your dog would be juicy and noisy. Aren't all dogs? No. Cordy's quite dry. <laughs> you couldn't even say that fully. I'll say it for you. Cordy doesn't drool. So I mean, yeah. Very rarely, very rarely does she drool, and only when you're actively holding food in front of her face. Yeah. Never on like the pillows at night or anything like that. Like, yes, she I'm does. Fine. She fully drools in her sleep. Oh, really? Yeah. That's why there's like weird water stains oh. on my sheets. It's from Cordy drooling in her sleep. And so this is yep. I miss I miss that. During I'm the, a cat person. The months you let me stay, and I've got two cats. And I'm totally fine with calling. They just eat your bangs. I know. <laughs> I'm totally ca- fine with calling a cat like, hey, hair eater. Hey, <laughs> ass cat. Hey, <laughs> derp. Like, hey, window walker. Like, window walker <laughs> is a really cool name. It actually sounds like it should be something really shady and like mythological. Window walker or window liquor? Like, window, window walker because it walks along the windows. Okay. But window liquor is also very mythological. Yes. Well, well a- <laughs> window liquor is also something that is very common in the yeah. the cryptologic community in the military. We were all there. It doesn't matter. Hey, welcome back. So the problem for oh, hold on, everybody, radio voice, like NBR voices. Are you ready? Let's just try it for like thirty seconds. <sighs> welcome to this cycle of the Continental Writing Club. Check. It's chapter seven, isn't it? I, I do believe it's chapter seven. Thank you so much for joining us for chapter seven. We are delighted. We are delighted. Yeah. We are very delighted to have you here this evening. We have a wonderful lineup of stories for it's you and discussions. It was mm. great. Um, thank fantastic. you for saying that. You know, you yeah. talking over me really ruins the NPR feel of this. I'm I feel like we talk over each other a lot. Also, I you agree. could hear my muscles when I smiled. <laughs> you could hear like a click click as they fell into place. I have to I have to adjust my smile on click click. This isn't Radiotopia. Okay, simmer down. We were doing an NPR all right, fuck it, we're not NPR. <laughs> so welcome again. Oh, we already said welcome three times. You're going to hear the all prompts. of this. The prompts. Amy, what all are right. the prompts? The prompts for this week were, one, crash landing on an alien planet. 
I'm enhancing it. <laughs> You're doing a wonderful job. <laughs> Prompt two. Old school monster trying to survive modern day. Think Penny Dreadful, but 2017. A note, listeners. This prompt was written in 2017. <laughs> I was trying to think of how you could update that. Like, and then like what? I was going to do like an AOL dial-up. But it it's like that awful noise that people who can't roll their R's make when they're in Spanish class. Oh, Brennan? Yeah. Fuck you, I can roll my R's. <laughs> oh, I know you can, know but you that's can. the awful noise that people make when they can't roll their yeah. R's in Spanish class. Wait, that, the voice? They do that instead. That was a that was a super Jewish throat trail. I don't know what you're talking about. It, happy Purim, everybody, because that's when we're recording this. Happy yeah, Purim. having been in an almost exclusively white... Midwest. They do this? They do the cat trail? No, yeah. they do worse than that. Yeah, no, it's like an it awful like throat the... gargling thing. God, we oh. got diverted. We, we broke Shit. up the Sorry. lovely flow Fuck. prompt. Fuck. Anyway, the third plot. The third plot? plot? The third plot. plot. Uh, fuck, just stop listening now. No. They haven't been listening. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Why aren't you listening? Go ahead. I think it's our desperation. It's driving them away. Let's not sound desperate. We'll do what we want. We don't love you anyway. Uh, you can't leave the house. Why? Oh. Anyway. And if you I... add... Mm. Sorry? <laughs> if you edit out all the middle things between those prompts, that's fine. <laughs> I, I mean, I may and I may not. I may, like, and just use those for the situate blooper. where things are located. I've been doing that. I've taken entire chunks of conversation and moved them. You're good at the editing thing. The audio editing. I'm passable at it. The audit. Okay. I call it the audit. So, those were our three prompts. Mm-hmm. Why are you covering your mouth? Because I was randomly You're talking on- over you saying audit repeatedly <laughs> for no good reason. We're on a fucking podcast. Audit, okay, audit. so, was- no, just don't rock because my bed will fall apart again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just resitting. What? Okay, anyway. So- mm. <laughs> I was just going to say that since I gave the prompts, that means Reagan has to read first. <gasps> oh, that's right. Okay, I begin. And <laughs> it begins with me. And she's putting her up for her hair. Yes. I have a lot of hair. It's going up. And her hair is so long that she doesn't even need a hair tie because she just uses her hair as the hair she tie. She ties it in a fucking yeah. knot. That is the thing I do. Yeah. And there's hey. still so much left over. Hey, um, just out of curiosity, what is your NPR voice? Like, just without anybody talking over you, like, what's your NPR impression? <laughs> I tried and then it didn't work. Uh, <clears throat> today we will be going over the, um, uh, the stories that were based on the prompt that Amy produced and mine was in fact the story mm-hmm. about um, not being able to leave one's house and this is actually crucial to today's current atmosphere if you think about it. Did you not think so? I believe we heard recently actually a classical piece based on not being able to leave the I house. Think and, yeah. And yeah, mm-hmm. I do believe that Stravinsky <laughs> Firebird <laughs> Oh, I thought that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I will not Firebird. <laughs> Fire burning on the bed is dangerous. <laughs> it's not a song, but it will do. Uh, my prompt, I of Amy's prompts, I chose unable to leave the house, and that is also what I titled it, like I do. Are you guys ready? Are you both ready? Yes. I'm ready. Tell me your story. Shush. So my prompt this time was unable to leave the house, and here it goes. Natalie crept to the window and pressed her face as close to the glass as she could without touching it. Her slow breaths built a subtle fog upon the surface which grew until it obscured her view of the world beyond. Blurred or not, it made no difference. What she watched for, she knew she would never see. The world was teetering, and yet still, she could not leave the house to enter it. She had been outside the house before, of course. There was a time before she had lived at the Benton house, when she was with her parents, and when she was at school. She remembered very little of her parents. Like most of her kind, family life was perfunctory and short-lived. Schooling could take many years, depending on where her kind would be sent. Standard home roles, like her own, required only a year more than the factory work, but there were others who received specialized training, hospital and school assistants and the like. The ones who were destined for military service went to secret schools that she had only ever heard whispers about. She wondered if their lives were very different from her own, especially now with the world being what it was. She turned from the window, letting the folds of curtains settle back in front of her. The living room shifted from dully lit to dimly lit, and Natalie stood among the shadows for a long time, feeling the stillness of a house, the silence of the day. 
On empty days, the house seemed to exist outside of time. Natalie sometimes believed that she truly did not age when the house was like that. She and the house were of the same dream. They were weightless and changeless. This was, of course, not true. Time was subtle, but as persistent a force inside the house as it was out. Anyway, Natalie did not age the way other things did. Natalie moved through the living room, touching the various objects that decorated the coffee table, the stands, the mantel. Everything was in order, dusted to a lifeless perfection, spaced just so, sitting just so. Presented rather than appreciated. There was a hollowness to the objects, a fakeness to them. She looked at the reflection in the glass of a picture frame, seeing the sharp outline of the front door ghosted over the faces of the Benton house occupants. Yes, she thought, they were through that door, out in that world, and gone for some time now. She refrained from returning to the window as she had done so many times already. Instead, she picked up the picture and examined it, though she was already numbly familiar with its contents. There was Miss Benton, with her golden hair and permed clouds about her shoulders and a weak, muscled smile that hovered between pretty and chemically perfected. On either side of her were her two boys, one with the Mrs. Fair hair, the other with the rose-tinted, sandy locks of the father. Both boys smiled for the photo, but one wore the heavy, forced smile of a teenager, while the other was quick and easy and true. Behind them all, with arms bridging their shoulders as if to display his dominion over the entirety, was Mr. Benton. His eyes were hard and his smile was sharp, the sort that was often given in tandem with insults. She wasn't sure how she felt about the portrait. She didn't think it represented them fairly. Natalie had known them to be a loving family, and they had treated her kindly, if passively. She carefully set the picture back in its place and gave it a last, lingering inspection. There were no such images of Natalie's own childhood. Her kind did not have families the way the Bentons and others did. Her parents would never have posed that way, smiles fixed to show the world their happiness and love, arms connecting one to the next and to the next, encircled in one harmonious unit. Natalie could not recall any occasion in which the whole family had even sat to dinner together. True, they did not even eat in their home. Rather, she would go about her days in relative solitude, with the shadow of one or the other figure watching over her. She glanced at the opening to the hallway. That was where they would have been. They were always hovering, several feet away, looking down at her, watching her, guiding her if she needed it, but rarely touching her at all. There were no hugs, there were no smiles, and there were no photos. No one archived the youth of her kind, if they archived them at all. The regular sounds of evening encroached upon the silent house, filling it with a kind of life again. Natalie walked through the halls, watching the dim lighting shift from muddled gray to violent orange. Thin bars of color traced the floors and walls, cutting past the curtains throughout the house. Birds chattered away beyond the windows, settling noisily in the trees outside. At least one of the children was usually home by that time, and Mr. Benton would be arriving soon after the colors faded from the walls. Miss Benton would be cooking the evening meal, listening to one of her programs. But it had been three weeks since anyone but Natalie had walked through the halls. Three long and strained weeks where the world felt as if it were teetering on the verge of perpetual sleep. She had longed for that kind of silence when she was at school. At first it had been exciting, for her boundaries to shift from her childhood home to the more complex and evolving program and maintenance centers. It was the first time she had met others of her kind, and she had been amazed at the variety of colors and personalities. Gradually, though, she had found the noise to be tedious, and the training and testing routines unglamorous. That was not to say she found her current position to be glamorous in any way. That was not to say she found her current position to be glamorous in any way. Tending to the Bentons was simple and unexciting, but she loved watching the small intricacies of the relationships blossom and shift, and the children had been entertaining in their younger years. Human children were nothing like Natalie's kind. They were so full of wonder and folly. They didn't immediately understand the differences that separated Natalie from them, and so, for a time, she was regarded with the same warmth and welcome that any other member of the household was. She remembered how uncomfortable Miss Benton had been about it with the first child. She had hovered, not unlike Natalie's own parents, monitoring every interaction. Though the Bentons had personally selected Natalie based on her model specs and unwavering reputation, human nature dictated that when mother and new child were before her for the first time, there would be sudden doubts. She had been trained for that reaction, expected it, but it still confounded her. It was as if the humans forgot that they themselves had created her, given her purpose, bound her with the importance of a household and their happiness. 
She was incapable of doing anything that they had not already planned, and yet there was fear and hesitation, as if she were mystery to them, as if she were not born of their hands and their minds. Natalie stood at the base of the stairs, looking up into the dark second story, but not really seeing the shadowed forms of banister, side table, and first bedroom door. Her sensors were turned elsewhere, inward, calculating. She was considering what mysteries the humans saw in her kind. It had only just occurred to her that perhaps it was more than human nature to be so uncertain. Perhaps it was possible that for all their genius, and for all their careful planning and testing, her kind were accidental and still evolving. She had witnessed human accidents blossom into wonders before. Sometimes it was something simple, like a children's finger painting that shifts from scribbled chaos to suddenly resembling a playful dog in motion. Other times it was farther reaching, like when the Benton parents were discussing Mr. Benton's business in a manner that Natalie knew to be joking, and yet realizations were made that resulted in new wealth for the household. There was uncertainty and exploration in those moments that just happened to grow into something usable. She considered this potential spark for the origin of her own existence, but as dictated by her programming, she forgot it again, as she had so many times before. Natalie returned to the living room window and lifted the curtain back again. She ran her fingers along the pane of glass, leaving no smudges, no prints, sensing the cold on the other side. Besides the birds and a couple squirrels, there was no movement on the street. There was no movement in the windows of the houses that lined the block. In the distance, the great columns of soot-colored smoke still curled upward, spreading to the horizon. They had grown in density and soon would blot out the light of the sun and stars, and with them, all satellite uplink connectivity that Natalie required for upkeep. The landlines still functioned, but the bursts were inconsistent and potentially hazardous to Natalie's mainframe. She watched the undulating towers of smoke until the remnants of sunset light recoiled entirely and the columns were just shadows within more shadows. She let the curtains fall back over the window again. Natalie had performed all the duties required of her role, tending to the house and all the objects in it, ordering and restocking all the regular pantry items which shipped through automated services, she had even kept to the shadows, out of sight of the normally occupied spaces of the home within the typical fluctuations of the days and weeks. There had not been anyone there to adjust her behavior for, and gradually, as a new typical occupancy schedule shifted to fit the empty house, Natalie had begun to pace the rooms, wearing tracks in the plush carpet. Though she required no food or water, there were certain matters that would affect her livelihood eventually, should the Bentons never return. The automated supply services had ceased their deliveries three days ago, the water had stopped running, and though Natalie had filed for repairs, she had received only the automatic responses thanking her and her household for their continued business. The Benton house was shifting further and further outside the acceptable parameters, but Natalie could do little to address it. She felt compelled to try, however. Her persistent attentions to the tending of the house were wearing on her systems, and she knew that if she did not locate a more reliable power source, she would not be capable of performing her duties for much longer. Natalie approached the front door, following the same path she had all week. She unlocked the door and pulled it open, letting it swing all the way open, its arc falling just shy of brushing the wall. She stepped out onto the steps and went down them, slow and alert with each movement. She reached the edge of the boundary of the Benton household, where the uncut grass of the lawn curled onto the sidewalk and gravel from the drive sprinkled the concrete. She thought perhaps this time her need for continued energy would outweigh her directives to adhere to the boundary controls, but she found she could not lift her foot across the line. She stared down the sidewalk in the dark, going over the arguments in her mind again and again, but her computations simply could not trump her directives. She turned and walked silently back to the house, crossed the threshold, and closed the door. All she could do now was burn the memory of the Bentons and their home into her files, arrange her logs for easy access in case anyone returned, and then prepare herself for power-saving status and eventual shutdown. She hesitated at the door to her room, the dark and mostly empty space the Bentons had allowed her. Most of her kind hid away in small, out-of-the-way nooks in the home, basements, closets at times. The Bentons had given her a room, as if she were a member of the family, an estranged and awkwardly welcomed member who required no real comforts. But they had given her comforts anyway. She knew that this too was human. She too closely resembled them, and so her bed and her wardrobe and her bookshelf, full of odd gifts, were merely attempts to assuage their own guilt, but she had been happy to have them all the same. She mimicked the smile that she knew to represent bittersweet emotions as she ran her gaze across those few belongings which were hers. 
books of poetry and fables, a row of stone statuettes of animals that had once been collectibles inside boxes of tea, dried flowers, and a bowl of well-tended succulents, and the old, warped paintings that the children had each gifted her when they had been young, before they had disassociated themselves from her. She touched each item in turn, and then she settled her weight onto the bed. At the last moment, she decided to lay herself down, hands folded across her stomach as she had seen a sleeping princess do in the books of fables. Then, with a pang of simulated sadness that she knew was not real even as she felt it, Natalie entered power-saving mode and watched as the world flickered out of existence, one sensory input at a time, until her databanks ceased to recording. Woo! Paper crumple. It's like... If the Jetsons robot yeah. and Wally had a child in plot form. But also if it was the child. saddest yes. humanoid, but also not enough human that they like actually empathize with it, like that's that's where you're at. I I don't really remember necessarily thinking too much about it when I was writing this one, but as I was writing it, I it just went it makes me so sad. And then afterward, yeah, I was thinking how it could reflect, like, societal things and people that don't feel like they're at the same level or, you know. It, it, yeah. does, a, it does a really good job of showcasing the kind of weirdness of having a live-in servant of any kind and how it's like, do you treat them like... They're at your level. But they're or, like family. Right? Like yeah, family, yeah. But at the same time, they when you are required yeah. no matter what to do everything you ask of yeah. them. Yeah. There's that intimacy and... I'm squeaking. Yeah, that's good. There's the intimacy and there's the, we gave you a space. Our children gave you gifts. We love you, but you don't eat with them. You don't dress like them. We watch you don't, over you. Yeah. You don't get evacuated with them. You are still required to maintain the house when they're gone. You're still required to do like... You're not human in the same way that they are human. Yeah. And that has been true historically and in the future when we finally have <laughs> our robot slaves that will eventually become our, ro- our robot overlords. And I will feel real weird about having them with my robot slaves and probably not willingly in my household if I ever have a household. But let's be honest, don't with the economy, I won't have Siri or Alexa no. or any of those and things. And I turned Cortana the fuck off. Yeah. I don't have as any off as them. you can turn her. She's still there watching, learning. Sorry, Cortana. Yeah. I'm not. I don't have any of them. I can't keep them in my house. I can barely have cats that I disagree with. <laughs> I have friends that have Alexa, and I'm amused to talk to Alexa, but the first time I ever encountered her, briefly having a chat with my friend about, well, I don't even know what, she interrupted us. I didn't even know she was there. I didn't know she had them yet, that my friend had Alexa. Alexa interrupted us to tell me about suicide hotline numbers because she was concerned about whatever I just said. And I was like... Your house just thought I was suicidal and told me? Like, what is this? So, yeah, I don't know how I feel about robots, but... Depression. Apparently. I don't even think I said anything that morbid. I, I mean... I mean, I, I feel much. like you... <laughs> when you much. previously told me the story, you guys were having, like, a D&D conversation There was something, something really... Yeah. I, like... Just, like, cursory, maybe something died, or thinking about something violent, or... I don't even remember what it was. Something dark. Yeah. But not that dark. Like, not I want to off myself, Alexa. Oh. Um. The yawn? Were you putting the yawn? Yeah. Contagious? I was. It uh, is. Sorry. Empathy. Um, mm. anyway, I, I thought your story was really great. It, it did, like, it was this beautiful, like, mashing together of the Jetsons robot and Wally. Like, and that's kind of why I really liked it was that it was the, let's take these two things that are very disparate and, and put them together. And it's like the dehumanization of, of something that has been created that is sentient, that Mm -hmm. is there to help you. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it reads really beautifully to me because of the emotion that it reaches for of the, the forgotten servant, the, the thing that is human enough for you to give drawings to, but not human enough for you to care about. Human enough to worry about why you've been gone so long. Yeah. I remember when we read this and, and when you were reading out loud the same thing. Um, I don't do well with technology. And I remember Shock. like... 
Okay. I said that for the, the listeners who might be listening, not for you. You know this. Who have not been paying attention throughout. Because no. I feel like it's come up more than once. But, you know. Potentially. Also fair. Um, but I actually was, like, so sad. Like, I was almost beclumped about this. Oh, good. Like, I wanted to cry over why the fuck they left her. And I remember thinking, like, what is in my house right now that might have enough sentient thing? (laughs) You took a survey of your household. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, okay, so, like, you know, like, there was an earthquake or something and my two cats are there. Did they give them enough food? Did they give them a way to leave the house? Like, do they have... But they're cats. Everybody knows cats have brains. Cats are things. Cats mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. go. They do. They're animal. Question, though. If it's end of the world, post-apocalyptic scenario, and the bombs have come down or whatever. The bombs, capital T and B. Uh, and you have to, like, get on a spaceship going into outer space, and there's a weight limit. What do you bring? There's a, we don't have the, the facilities to feed your animal or oh, process its garbage. Like, Yeah. Just... And animals how common sense is animals, animals are should not be necessary if we're all going into space. Humans are not the only thing on Earth that is fucking important. No, but they no, don't bring goddamn. them in their fully developed forms. They bring them as like the design goats. I think we like should bring don't... perpetual puppies and kittens for mm. psychology reasons because mm. they immediately make everyone happier and feel more calm. I want my old man cat. He's like mm. seventeen. Yeah, but you years and old. everyone else want their old man cat. What about the woman who you like one person? who's a normal household, who has multiple children, and that weight load and food consumption load, plus one cat. And then also, okay, so we approve all of you. And what about the woman who has 40 cats that equals the same weight load? Then where's the line? Does she pick one cat? Or is it a weight load? I don't know what she does with her life. She had 40 cats with her. What if my 18-year-old cat, who uses the human toilet, is like chilling on Earth and they won't let him on the spaceship... Guess who's fucking staying on Earth? My argument was more for actual, the, actually the robot than the cats. Like, yeah. even if you did come to love your robot servant, she's programmed to be human. I get But maybe that. she's not actually human, and maybe she wastes a wait, fuck ton. Wait, and I get can't that she's programmed her. enough to be human, but, like, is that sentience argument where, like, yeah. if she can miss them when they're not there... But is it a real missing, or is it oh. a program missing, and what is real? Oh, are are our brain functions programmed? It all functions? Like, I also like that Do argument. Do you believe in free will? So I like that you guys felt the feels and questioned based I on that. I questioned the shit out of that yeah. story. Woo! Sorry, that's probably really also, loud on mic. I love I love cats and animals in general, but I'm team no cats on the spaceship escaping planet. I feel like you only do that because you're allergic. And also, I do it because no I have cats. fucking Please common no sense, and I don't better, think I would bring. Hey, better whoa. to to bring. Have you seen? Would I bring my Ridley dog Scott's Alien? Because the cat on the spaceship. I always was wondered about that cat. I wasn't was beneficial. beneficial. She just hugged it at the end. Was it really beneficial? Yeah, it avoided the alien the whole time. It ate all of that the space mice. It didn't benefit the anyone. space mice that we never fucking saw. <laughs> oh, we were. Too concerned telling you about the fucking alien, okay? There was a lot of space mice. (laughs) There was a side story that they made a movie of. It was not popular. No one else saw it but Brenna. (laughs) It killed 70 space mice. Is it the the movie that they filmed in her brain while she's lying? (laughs) Yes. Waiting to fall asleep at night? It's the dream sequence. It's my dream brain. It's obviously. Anyway, I love fucking cats and they can all stay on planet Earth while the rest of us escape. Sorry. We've derailed entirely from my story. On to Brenna. Hey. And cats. <laughs> Go figure. Obviously. <laughs> um, you guys, I don't know if you know this, but I like cats. I feel strongly about aliens. I like to break. This is actually one of my favorite stories. Um, it's called Mr. Shed. Um, Which prompt was it? Because it wasn't the Mr. Shed prompt. No, it was, it was not the shit prompt. I feel like if I read it, they're going to know. It also wasn't the cat prompt, I'm just saying. Jesus, age. You have can to we, say can it. We have you, have to, you have to say can it. We, it may be one of those ops to include it in a prompt list, yes. Was it a crash landing on an alien planet? No. An old school monster trying to survive by yes, the day? Yes, obviously. All right. I'm taking a drink. It's a shadim. Are you going to laugh while I tell you the story? Can you swallow your booze? <laughs> Not when I'm laughing. Oh, here you go. Guys, we have been making some poor alcohol choices. What do you mean I'm fine? I mean, me too. Fully, 100%. <laughs> okay. Um, so I chose the prompt about a new school 
no, an old school monster in a new school environment. And I'm Jewish and I chose something that is near and dear to my heart. So this is a story called Mr. Shed. It was a busy little street off of bigger, busier streets near the downtown. It had many tiny, tidy apartment buildings lining it, but in one of the top floor with windows facing the alleyway, there was a little lady who lived alone. Many people in these apartments lived alone, so this was no exception. But here lived a little lady who was not too old or too young with no one. Well, people would say she had no one, but really she had a job and friends and money to buy wine and two little cats that kept her company. She had lived there for some time and had a place for everything in her house. One day, she was making herself tea and reading in a small room when she heard a mewling noise. She looked at her two little cats, one old and one young, one male and one female, and then found them staring back at her, silent. Still, she heard the meow. Then, she rose and looked out her window, down into the alleyway behind her apartment. There on the half wall, outside, perched a large cat with wild, long hair. Hello there, she said, and she fetched it some of her own cat's food and poured it into the alley below. The large cat ate and left. This large cat returned not two days later at the same game, and the little lady again gave it food. The cat returned often and regularly, so that the little lady even gave it a name and looked out for it on stormy nights, wishing it a safe, dry place to be. One day, the little lady heard a knock on her door, and rising to see who it was, found outside a large man with a long beard and long, wild hair stuffed under a flat, black hat. He greeted her formally, even bowing at the waist, and he said he needed her help. He explained that he was supposed to meet a man in this building, but the address he had taken down in pen and ink was ruined by the rain, and he could not discern the apartment number. Did she know a Mr. Shedd? Though she knew many of her neighbors, she did not know Mr. Shedd, and she apologized that she could not help him more. This said, she closed the door on the man. The man, apparently, left, though the little lady marveled that she did not hear him walk down the hall. She peeked through a crack in the door and saw his shadow depart. The next day, the large cat came and asked for food again, which the little lady obliged him with. Looking into the alley at the cat, which reminded her of the man, she noticed the cat now wore a black collar with a little metal tag upon it. Oh, I see, she thought. You do belong to someone. Maybe I don't need to keep feeding you all of this extra food. But still, every time the cat called upon asking for food, she would feed it. About a week after this, there was a knock on her door. This time, when she opened the door, it was a little lady, just a bit older than herself, with long, tangled and wild locks, holding a basket covered with a cloth. She had on a formal dress from what looked like the last generation, but a simple necklace with a metal locket displayed on the outside of the dress. Please excuse the bother, but I got turned around in the city and I can't seem to find my cousin, Mr. Shedd, the woman explained. I know he lives in this building, but I don't know the number. Could you direct me? The little lady apologized for not knowing which number Mr. Shedd was at, but suggested the little lady speak to the landlord for more information and shut the door on the wild-haired lady. Again, she watched the shadow depart, but heard no footsteps. The evening after this, the large wild cat came again, calling for food. The little lady, who had been enjoying a glass of gin, rose from her chair to feed it and saw that the cat was snagged on a bush with its little collar. It could not get itself free and it was becoming frantic. Stay there, she called to it, and she hurried to put on her boots and go to the alley and do it. The alley was not well-traveled and there was a fence blocking her entrance to it, but the little lady was spry enough and she climbed the fence, dodged the brambles, and slowly and carefully approached the cat. Her own two little cats watched from the window above as she carefully walked to the large cat, cooing soothing words, and letting the cat still itself. As she bent with a little knife to cut the cat's collar from the bramble where it was caught, she heard a voice say, wait. She looked around the alley, but saw no one there. Slowly, she bent down again to her task. Wait. Here, she noticed the large wild cat was speaking to her. Hello, she said to the cat. Why do you ask me to wait? You must be careful to undo me from this tangle without removing my collar, the cat said. If you undo the collar, terrible things will happen to you. But if you undo me without removing it, you should be rewarded. Maybe 
Send on your she-cat to do the work, he suggested. You are quite snagged, she said to the cat, and she put away her little knife. It was then that she noticed, hidden under the wild hair of the cat, were a pair of little twisted horns. Shadim. She thought and decided to be quite careful. I will cut you out myself, she told the demon. My cats will stay well away. Bending again, she twisted and finessed the collar off the bramble, receiving many cuts herself, but not removing or cutting the collar. Hooray! The cat called and zipped back and forth around the alley. You may have anything that you ask for, up to half my kingdom, for your services. The woman marveled at the speaking cat, but it did not do kind words for rewards, and said, I need nothing. Thank you. The cat jumped on the wall in one mighty jump and looked down at her, saying with a serious voice that it was a custom of his kind that must be honored. She must choose something as her reward. He flexed something leathery under the mound of fur. Was it wings? Understanding, the little lady asked the cat for the little metal tag upon its collar, and the cat demon arched and purred, crouching atop the wall to let the little lady pluck the tag from its collar. Carefully, he said. The woman, on some instinct, bowed and worked her way around the alley to her apartment. She set the little metal tag, which she looked down and saw was inscribed with the words, Mr. Shed, on her bedside table, and tired, finished her gin, and went to bed. When she awoke in the morning, she did not see the little metal tag, but in its place at the bedside table was a little pile of diamonds. Each sparkled beautiful, cut, and stacked. What a fortune! She did not see or feed strange cats in the alley after that, and no one ever asked again at her door for Mr. Shed. I love this story. And I think what I love a lot about it is that I'm I'm not fidel- fidelier, familiar with the Shadim at all. I'm not familiar with that mythology. I'm not familiar with a lot of... Oh, suddenly, I wanted to say Kabbalistic. That's not at all right. <laughs> it's not Kabbalah, No. No. No, no, it's just Judaism. Judaism. Oh my god. I'm like, <laughs> Hebrew is a language. Kabbalistic. Kabbalah just, is a... Just Jewish folklore. Yeah. So, Judaic uh, mythology at all. I, I didn't realize that there was even that much of a rich... I just didn't think it was that different from yeah. what things I've heard of. We like, give you golems. We give you shadim. And I knew about golems, but I guess I didn't realize they were from Judaism. That's fascinating. Anyway, I'm clearly a pedant here. Or not a pedant. Uh, you're not. You're oblivious. Just, you're a shiksa. And that's fine. What did you just call me? <laughs> a non-Jewish lady. Okay. That's what a shiksa means. So long as you're not calling me something nasty. No, God, I would never. You want to have ass friends. <laughs> no uh, one listens to this podcast and we do it together. <laughs> so you can't be insulting me now to nothing. God, no. Because <laughs> only I will hear it back. Well, uh, I being all of us. I am all of us. <laughs> Suddenly are real important there. Uh, I do really love that, though. I love that I learned something new, and I started to view the idea of, of the Shadim as, like, a, for some reason, a mini-genie, because it grants your wish, but first you have to be tested by it, which makes me think of all of our old questions about if you meet a wizard in the woods, do you listen? What do you give it? What would you... All that stuff, If so. you fuck up a witch. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love it. I love all the little intricacies that we, as a listener, don't actually get to learn. We don't know what she did right or wrong. We assume she did it right because she got diamonds. But what if she could have gotten more? What if there were other possibilities available to her? I, I mean, love that's, it. That's kind of all the things. But, like, okay, as a all Jewish things. lady... I mean, like, all the, like, hypothetical question. Mm-hmm. Like, if you help a witch in the woods and she is like, hey, here's your reward. Did you want this or that? And it's like, always it comes with a price. Like, mm-hmm. th- there's no fucking up with that. But, like, if you're just feeding a cat in the alley and the cat turns out to be a Shadim and you don't realize and it's actually a Shed because it's a male cat and it's, like, a male demon. But Shadim is, like, the plural of them. Mm-hmm. But there were many of them that came to her door. That's why it's called. Ah. So, Shadim is many small demons with, like... Oh. Yeah. I didn't, see, I didn't know that. So, she actually encountered multiple demons. Yes. I didn't know if they were all the same face. No. They were coming to meet him. Oh. And he was the one in her back alley mm. who was, like... And she hid him from them. But she didn't know that she was doing it. Right. And she also... Also, Sheds fucking love she-children... Like, um, I guess baby girls is was the right way to say that. She children. She children. But like she yearlings. In this story, I wanted to put like <laughs> I wanted to put like the idea of like 
she doesn't have children, but she's got two cats. There's mm-hmm. one boy, there's one female. Uh, and it wasn't based off of you at all. Mm, yes, you and your one male old cat and one young female cat. And your gin-drinking old lady. Oh, you're not an old I lady. mean, I, I do drink some gin. <laughs> but, like, the idea that, like, a shed in the back alley would be, like, send down the lady cat to do that shit. It's, it's, it's the equivalent exchange of... Exactly. Yeah. It was like, it was, I was trying to make it a new school version. Which I think of, meets the requirement of a modernized. Yeah, yeah. I was trying to make it like a modern version of that because it's not like a traditional shed story would be like you're giving up your children or a, a promising a baby, like Rumpelstiltskin style. Ah. Or you're like, um, or they're helping you or you're helping them with a birth. And if, it, if the person who is giving birth gives birth to a little girl, you're fucked. Huh. If they give birth to a boy, congratulations. You <sighs> don't get fucked, you get rewarded. Yay, some of that old stereotyping yeah. against gender. Yeah, there's mm. like a lot built in there. And so I was trying to retell an old Jewish folklore. I, I mean, I liked it. I, I think yeah. you did retell. Thank you. Um, I think the part that I enjoyed the most, that's a not entirely accurate, the part that tickled my brain then was the idea of be careful taking uh, with my collar because mm-hmm. it suggests something so much worse. Mm-hmm. It's like, what happens when you take it off? It's like this creature is this way because maybe they choose to be this way. Maybe they're bound to be mm-hmm. this way. Be very careful of the steps you take mm-hmm. because it could potentially be so much worse. And if it could be so much worse, he likes her enough to be like, Hey, don't take my collar off. Yeah. I hadn't considered that step of maybe he wants to be free, but not in front of her. Maybe he would hurt her if he were free. I like, yeah, maybe he's, I like that he idea. wants some, like, jackass who's, like, a total a total Fucked up bag. all the steps. Fucked up all the steps and be like, yeah, just just take my just, collar just off and I'll give this. you anything you want. Just and, some scissors, But dude. with her, he's like, just, just take the totem at the end. Like, just... Don't remember. He didn't it. even offer it to her though. Like but he, be mindful he's though. Caught. Be mindful. He's caught yeah. And like don't take off and that's actually the part of the Shadim is when the shed is caught like that, you you have to follow their instructions and they're very careful about huh. their instructions. And if they tell you take only the red string or something like that from like a tangle of yarn or something like that, you you do that. Interesting. And it's only for the people that have actually helped them that they say, Here's how you Otherwise, don't get fucked up. They don't warn. No. And otherwise, hmm. if you don't listen to their instructions, you get fucked up. And, like, for for her, she was feeding him in the alley. She, like, guarded him from other sheds. And in my story, in this idea of the story, it was, like, he did like her. And this idea of, like, okay, he rewarded her. He, like, jumps up into the wall. She's He's got, like, weird fucking leathery wings now. He's, like, a cat with fucking horns. And he's like, he's not adorable. Take anything you want, but you also have to take something. Like, there's that threatening aspect as well. And she's like, I don't know what fucking half your kingdom means, but I'll take the little silver tag on your collar. And immediately, what I wondered, being greedy as fuck, was if she chose something humble, does she actually get more? If she chose half his kingdom, would he scorn her for being greedy? Because I won't want half a kingdom. <laughs> Unless I was in charge of running it. Then I'd be like, ah, mm, so much work. That's the God. problem. Then you're yeah. like, what's his name in The Magician? Exactly. Like, you're in charge now of an entire kingdom. Like, yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to be in charge of Fillory, ever. No, no that shit's run down. <laughs> Still, I'm glad you get the taxes first. But yeah, I do. They need a very strong business-minded person <laughs> in there. Not to run the place, but to assist in running the place. Assist business it. people should not be running countries. Okay, but I'm glad you guys like my story, and thank you for listening to it. And it's not the story. I wanted to write about Frankenstein when I first thought oh, about this Oh, interesting. And I was, like, really thinking about it, and I was like, there's no way I can retell Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. It's also... A social commentary already. I'm gonna retell another. I have actually read a couple of versions, so in a way, I'm really glad that you didn't go that route because I feel like I, I you went in a new route that I had not seen before. And yeah, I appreciate. That. I feel like Frankenstein's overdone, and I really appreciated this. And I don't think there is enough voice out there for Judaism in fantasy and sci-fi. So 
Yeah, fucking fill that shit in. I think that's great. Thank you. Total yeah. random side note. I got an email like two days ago that was like, do you want to take a two-credit course on the persecution of Jews throughout history? And yes. I was like... Obviously, obviously, yes. It was like, I kind of do. It's two Sundays. That's all it is. Two credits for two Sundays. That's not even Shabbat. You're fine. Wow. Well, obviously. It's being taught by a bunch of rabbis. But I can't pay for it. The military won't pay for it. It's not even close to being part of my degree requirements. I'm not even sure why I got the email. Do you want to just, like, go to synagogue with me or something? There you go. Then you can learn about it. I feel like that's not quite the same as a super intensive eight-hour course on, like, like, history. I'll make you watch every Holocaust film that has ever been made. You've already tried. Like, this is already a thing. (laughs) Let's have a fun Saturday. Want to watch some really depressing movies? Hey, let's really go out and enjoy Pride and celebrate our sexuality. Oh, Do you want to watch a really depressing World War II lesbian movie? Amy and Jaguar. Cool. It's worth it. Check it out. Oh my god, that's its name? Amy. Yeah, Amy with A-I-M-E-E. Yeah, the French And spell. Jaguar. But it's like that was their code names. Well, I mean, Amy was her real name, but oh. Jaguar was the code name. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to bring depression into everyday life, it's Brenna. <laughs> Be Jewish. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jewish Holocaust. Or Irish. But just... <laughs> or both. It's, it's... Well, that is her, the meaning of... I mean... I know. Right? Like, yeah. Accurate. Gyrishism. <laughs> well, that's not what I meant for... But yeah, gyrishism, mm, sure. Yeah. It's also like <laughs> just a, a depressive person. That's great. So that brings us back to Amy and your story. Great. This is really going to lift your moods up. Oh. It's not... As as the Jewish Irish person who is apparently the the poster child for depression or sad stories, I'm gonna let you know right now, don't turn it off. But just like be prepared to cry. Like grab a tissue, sit down. It's not even that bad. This is not one of my sadder ones. Yeah, this is actually one of her happy ones. It's not. No, it's not. Yes, it No, I Of your stories is one of your happy ones. Of my stories. Okay. If we're on the spectrum of Amy stories, yes, it's probably in the in the higher ends. Anyway. Still not a happy story. (laughs) Alright, so um anyway, my turn. I also did uh the you can't leave the house prompt um but i did a very different story all right so i did the man it's been so long since the last time i said this <laughs> uh i did house band the soothing sounds of the scrub brush filled her ears as it whisked over the stone tiles she tilted it slightly getting into the tiny spaces where the grout resided It was dark stone, with dark grout, but she could tell it was dirty anyway. It was satisfying to scrub it all away. By the time she finished in the foyer, her joints ached. Despite the padding she placed on her knees, they felt bruised, and her back was on fire from the strain. She rolled her shoulders, causing minor cracks in her spine, and smiled. The stone was spotless, even to her eyes. With a groan, she got to her feet and went to grab the bucket of soapy water. She moved silently through the house, headed toward the kitchen. Grand hallways dwarfed her diminutive frame, stern faces and portraits watching her as she walked. Her eyes darted from side to side, seeking dust and dirt for a clue to her next task. The kitchen was bright, the daylight streaming in through large bay windows. She dropped the bucket down by the stove and washed her hands in the sink. She sank into a chair at the kitchen table, resting for a moment. Ella? She looked up to see her daughter-in-law standing in the doorway. She was frowning slightly, looking around the kitchen. Good morning, Annabelle. Would you like some breakfast? Annabelle shook her head, coming into the kitchen. No, thank you. What are you doing up so early? Where's Cook? Oh, I couldn't sleep, Ella said with a dismissive wave. It's Cook's day off today, remember? Annabelle had only been living in the manor for a few months, since the wedding. She hadn't quite grasped the staff's schedules, Her son was on a business trip for a few days, so it was just them in the house. Annabelle spotted the bucket of dirty, soapy water. Were you cleaning again? Just the foyer. Those stones get so dirty. Eggs? Oatmeal? Just coffee, Annabelle replied, shaking her head at the idea of food. You know you don't have to clean, Ella. I like to clean when I see something dirty, Ella replied, 
getting up to grab the French press. It had cooled somewhat since she had made her own morning coffee, so she poured some into a small saucepan and put it on the stove. Doesn't that defeat the purpose of having staff, though? Annabelle asked, watching the older woman as she stood at the stove. It only took a minute for the coffee to heat up again, and she poured it into a large mug with a dash of cream, the way she knew Annabelle liked it. I don't like to impose on the help. They have so much to do anyway. Annabelle sighed. That's their job, Ella. You shouldn't be on your hands and knees cleaning things all day. Ella hummed, sitting down at the kitchen table across from the other woman. Well, it's nice to have something to do around the house. I just can't seem to relax in front of the television for hours on end. I need to be doing something. When was the last time you left the house? I could take you out to tea or something, spend some time on the town. Ella blanched slightly. I don't need to leave. I can find enough to do around the place. Annabelle reached out across the table and rested her hand on Ella's. Come on, let's go out. There's this amazing little cafe on DuPont that has the best pastries. I don't know, Ella demurred, looking around the kitchen with slightly widened eyes. There's so much to do around here. I've only just started. I'm not taking no for an answer, Annabelle said, standing up. Come on, get dressed. It doesn't even have to be for very long, but let's get out of the house for a while. Reluctantly, Ella allowed herself to be ushered out of the kitchen. She slowly ascended the winding staircase to the second floor, where her room was tucked in the back, away from the master bedroom. She spent a few moments dithering over what to wear, before finally pulling on a simple dress over tights, with pumps and a matching handbag. She put on some lipstick and eyeliner, before fixing her hair from a loose ponytail to a neatened bun. "'You look great,' Annabelle said, reaching out to grip Ella's elbow as a comforting gesture. "'Come on, let's go.' She opened the door, ushering the older woman out before her. It was a beautiful day outside. The sun shone brightly, gleaming in the mid-morning. The neatly trimmed grass had just shaken off the last of the morning dew. The flowers ran along both sides of the walkway, swayed gently in the breeze. In the far reaches of the lawn, artfully trimmed bushes showing animals frolicking drew the eye, adding a whimsical nature to the scene. Somewhere a sunken fountain burbled, the running water, a pleasant tone. It was warm out, but just barely, suggesting a hot afternoon and an excellent time to sit in the shade, perhaps with lemonade or some iced tea, little scones or cucumber sandwiches and biscuits with jam. It's okay, it's okay, Annabelle said, easing her back inside the house. Breathe for me. In and out. In and out. Ella stood in the foyer, shaking. Her knuckles were white as she gripped her handbag tightly in both fists. Her eyes darted around, finding the nooks and crannies behind furniture and paintings, deep into the crevices of the stone flooring. There was dirt everywhere. Someone really should clean it. When I remembered your story not being that sad, I didn't remember that ending. Because that ending is what tips the whole thing sad for me. Exactly the same thing. I remember that ending is when you were like, it's not that sad. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's a fucking depressing ending. Like, I remember this. I forgot the ending. Like, I remember that she had a need to clean. I remember that it was modernized. So I remember thinking like, okay, so she doesn't come from, potentially we don't know, that stepmother's forcing her to clean scenario. Maybe it's just that she has to clean. Even if she is from wealth, it doesn't matter. She has to be doing it. And I, 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 in my head, I still felt like she had this... Sorry, I'm hiccuping. What? <laughs> that was the sound I made to fill that <laughs> pause. <laughs> Disregard. Uh, Everyone will regard it. You know that. <laughs> Amy and her fucking bloopers. Or not. You might include that. Anyway, uh... In my head, I still give her the canon of Cinderella, where she probably grew up in a rough family and then got into wealth later. But I don't know that for sure, and I don't know about this part of the story. So her cleaning could be she's used to it, and it's something that's sad that she's been forced into and can't break away from. But it's also some people just like to clean. They feel better when they clean. Their mind is more clear. They can think in a rational way I, when they clean. I don't know. I mean, But like, that ending I feel like is a coping mechanism. And yeah. a panic, and it makes so, me so sad. <laughs> I feel better when I clean my house. I feel better when I make my bed and scrub my dishes and shit like that. 
But this is like next level. This is like OCD. Like you walk in after a panic attack because mm-hmm. you can't leave your house because of agoraphobia and you like realize how much you need to clean. And yeah. There's dirt everywhere. And then you've spent, how early was she up that her daughter-in-law was like, how long have you been up? What are you Her daughter-in-law doing? drank all night. She was up at 2, in the p- 2 p.m. Let's be honest. 2 p.m. No, that's never said. Uh, maybe I just that's did that life. to make Cinderella. That's life, life easier. Ella? Oh, but I mean, like, it's, I feel like the ending, that last yeah. paragraph, like, really just tips it into, it feels like there's no resolution. It feels like there's a cycle that continues. Yeah. And it's a really beautiful writing ploy, a writing narrative that you have set the scene up. You don't necessarily know the beginning. You don't know the origins. You have a moment. And then you don't necessarily know the end, but you are continuing the same pattern that you've already seen. And it gives it a longevity, but it also gives it a sadness here. Yeah. Like, if this was a love story and the longevity was continued that, like, they were forever smooching on the balcony or something like that, like, that'd be a whole different thing. This... It's what she, it's instead like a coping mechanism, a familiar thing. And honestly, yeah, you never say Cinderella at any point, it's Ella. So we can allude to it, yeah. But obviously. that's not necessarily the story. So. It's sad as shit. It is, It's yeah. sad as shit. I just mean maybe she doesn't even have an awesome husband that like swooped her up and like, like maybe this is just a life. Like, we don't know. Because it could allude to it, but it, it could also just be its own thing. I alluded to, I like, I projected onto it. So that should be fair to the reader to know. She loves to do that. She leaves vacancies for you to fill. Yeah. She does it in her writing. Amy, I I can see you smiling like a Cheshire cat. And I like that also we should tell the viewer that there's a visual aspect to where you were reading theatrically. It, it, it feels like breathing in and out and breathing in and out and it feels visually on the page when you look at it constricting. I think she did a great job. Yeah. It feels... It feels like an agoraphobic attack. It really does. You have a panic attack in visual form. I thought, so the way you handled that was... I thought her theatrical readings of that like, really communicated that through. Like the, the rise and fall was like a very natural rhythm. Some things were it too felt... big and too bright and too clear mm-hmm. than other things. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel about that story? So it's Cinderella. Okay. There you go. Um, <laughs> perfect. That's what we fucking thought. <laughs> um, and, and I... I don't... I don't even remember w- where I came at this from, like, what I decided to do. It's just somehow I ended up being like, okay, I'm going to write about someone who's housebound. I'm going to write about a Cinderella who's agoraphobic. But I want to also make it modern because that's just the tiniest bit stolen from one of the other prompts is, like, a past story that is now modern. So, like, instead of a past monster who was living in modern times, it's like, let me just makes like what would it be like if Cinderella was modern and it's there's only a little bit of that but you do tend to do that though you do tend to kind of you like you do one story but you borrow a little from one of the others yeah so there's um, a tinge of modernize the thing but it was and like stuck in a house it's like you have a woman who for the formative years of her life and depending on which version you take it mm-hmm. depends on whether it ends at 12 14 16 18 <laughs> 21 <laughs> yes she can drink vote and join your military and bear children and be taken away of course thank don't. god the prince found her oh, right <laughs> otherwise she'd be a spinster oh those tiny oh wait no because she'd be married shoes. off by 15 at that point yeah anyway i wanted to come at it from the idea of what does she do when she's like not necessarily the like kind of the queen mother but like mm-hmm. like that is who she is she is i read her as a queen yeah is in charge of this household, but not really because it's her son's household now. And she's just the person who's there. And she like, oh, oh, you, the household cleaners go away and the cook go away. I'll do all of the things because it's what she knows it, what makes her comfortable. It's like she, she was taken from this life that she lived for however many years, depending on which version you take. And, and, perpetuating and thrown into cycle? a completely different kind of life. It's not really about that. It's, it's about for me. I read knowing it what is what you have comfort. known your entire life, and it's and familiarity comfort in it. So yes, she was abused in the situation where she was forced to clean and cook. In but now yeah. she has not only is it what she knows and is comfortable with, but she has agency over it. She can choose to do that. She's she just can D about choose, it. Yes, but she can. It, it's her comfort. It is what she finds comfort in. Is she finds comfort in the cleaning and cooking and caring till that last paragraph. I don't ever feel bad for her. I feel like, yeah, you do, you do what you feel is right. You don't let the systematic 
opinion of what is hierarchy and lower, like lower class. Don't let that define what you feel like doing. If you feel like cleaning a floor, clean a floor. Yeah. Let your staff have a day off. Let it do whatever. Like communicate with your staff. Be nice to them. Clean the floor with them. Like I like that she feels comfortable doing that because she came from that. But then the end is like she's yeah. also constricted by it. Yeah, and, yeah, but she's also has been lived an abusive life. Yeah, and then was thrust into a world that she didn't know and she didn't understand and, and she wasn't prepared for. What's, what's the word count on your story? Because like I feel like it was maybe seven hundred words. No, it's more than that. It's two pages onto a third. Yeah, so five hundred hits like the bottom of one. Bottom of one? Really? Yeah, it's like four hundred, four to five hundred, depending on your font style. But yeah. Yeah, that one page is about 400 words. Okay, so... She's over 1,000. You're at 1,000 words. Cool. With this story, right? So, you just shared so much information... Yeah. ...about what happened before and what is currently happening. And then you leave that last paragraph of implication of what is happening after. Yeah. And you drag it the fuck on, and it's gorgeous. You are good at that. That is... That is true. She does, really. It's She concise. gives us before. She gives us current. Mm-hmm. She gives us future. And she gives us no real closure, either. Never. There's just a state. Just the end of your life like a and you fucking hate closure. Because fuck it. <laughs> yeah, because fuck anybody being comfortable with the ending of, of anything. I mean, I like I closure, like but endings. I like a lack of closure. <laughs> I like an irritation with closure, too, so. I agree. I like it in writing. I hate it in my personal life. <laughs> There's no closure in personal life. Personal life continues. Yeah, unless you kill someone and then it's done. Yeah, but then it hangs on. Does and it? guilt or DNA that you have to get Does rid it? of and the people hanging around asking I'm after them. Yeah. Follow us for our next podcast, How to Hide a Body. <laughs> Learn from their mistakes. <laughs> We've all been arrested. This mm. is actually being filmed from the jail. Yeah, there you oh. go. By the way, listen to Ear Hustle. Yeah, random, absolutely. Random Radio podcast Tropia. plug. Okay. Listen to Ear Hustle. Ear Hustle. That's the shit. Just happened. Yeah, we're it's, all about it. Uh, recorded inside of San Quentin, and it's people who've been arrested telling you what it is like to be in prison, and it's fucking amazing. It's on Radiotopia, but you can just Google it and find out, and it's worth listening to. That said, <laughs> total random sidebar. Sorry about that. I'm not. Um, but that said, we have to... Whose who's prompts? Is it Reagan? Reagan. Those are mine. Those are your prompts. We've done the stories today. Thank you for listening. We've got one Jewish demon. We've got a terrible, sad Cinderella story. And we've got the robot with no closure that makes us all question Sunchance. Um, next week, next fortnight... Next fortnight. What 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 might we have? What, what we might have. What might we have? Depending dependent oh. upon. What might we have? <laughs> uh, if you follow along with us, which we do hope you do, uh, the next prompts are: Will the day ever end? No matter where they go, they are recognized by everyone, or inspired by or utilizing song lyrics from one of the last ten songs you've listened to. Don't cheat it now. Last 10 songs. So if you've just listened accidentally to Katy Perry 10 times, too bad. That's what we have to choose from, guys. Fireworks all the way. Are you a tiger in the sky? You might be. Let's be honest, that would make a great story. (laughs) Be that tiger in that sky, motherfucker. Just write your story based on what you've listened to. Doesn't matter. Point is, hey, thank you for joining us. We Um, really appreciate you. We're going to try our best NPR impressions one more time. As we sign off. We really appreciate you listening with us today. And really, your... Um, what is the word? What is the thing? I Now I'm failing at NPR. Your support is always appreciated and keeps mm. us going. Yeah. Please tune in next Contributions time. from viewers like you make mm. this the podcast that we wish it could be. Mm. Um, I think that it's worth mentioning at this point that no author would be complete without an excellent team of editors, writers, readers to support it. And here to We're tell all you, of those. Here to tell you more <laughs> about it. We're all of those in one. Hold on, you guys. Here to tell you more... <laughs> God damn it. Here to tell you more about that and to give you the sign-off for this evening. And thank you again for joining us is Amy. So I want to thank our editor, 
our producer. That's our, it. It's literally just it's me. I do all of the it's things. It's all of us. She's not just the producer. She's not producer. She's I do social media shit. We're all She's producer. literally doing all the things. We're co-producer. She, clearly, we've got some issues with <laughs> roles. You're, you're all figuring that out now. Funny story. and We have zero time to do anything. So... You're lucky you're getting this. Look, all. I'll upgrade the Instagram when I have time. I provide the cats. Only been a month. <laughs> I'm so behind. Anyway, I want to thank all of the listeners for everything that you do. We could not exist as a podcast without you. <laughs> Why are you wheezing? <laughs> She's making the weirdest noises. Laughter and crying. Okay, I'm almost done with thesis. I've got some shit going on. <laughs> anyway, we really appreciate the like eight people who have stuck with us. You yes, make thank our you. World go round. We love and, you, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. And you don't have the flu anymore, so if I can make art, there you go. Get to, get to it. We get to it. You get to it. Everyone get to it. I feel like there's a rap song in here somewhere, but I was about to say too legit. I'm to just quit. waiting for Brenda to, to say her to catchphrase. Fuck you. And there we are. (laughs) Yeah, right on, everybody. (laughs) The best part about doing the bluebirds is I have ultimate control. The hills are alive with the sound of music. And that's Brenna's walking. Paper, paper, shuffle, shuffle, can, can. I just, just, then I just hit my can. That that was a Lady Gaga song, I swear. It's in there now. It's in there now. <laughs> sing for us, Reagan. Sing for us. Uh, to squeak for the bloop. Full fucking like blinged out ass, nice as fuck suit, and fucking fuzzy pink bunny slippers. I am so cool, you guys. And you were not. Mm. Shut the <laughs> I'm trying to tell myself. Mm. Didn't Helen Mirren play Margaret Yes. Duchess? I would see her naked. No, you can't. <laughs> Meditation. And the children have been. I want to watch the mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You snorted. I didn't even move like a lady. Smallest. Ribbon? Ribbon. 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 Your suffering is better in this case, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs>